Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, today... We're still in our series of God's Mind on Money, but in a sense, it's like a first message because I'm going to be giving the next three messages on the topic of getting money. Next week, I'll speak on guarding money. The week after that, I will be here, but we have a missionary from Japan who will be speaking. Andy Miko will be here. And then after that, I will then finally get to what everybody was so fearful about, and that is giving money. There may be people today that aren't here because they thought that's all I was going to speak on was give, 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 give. And I feel like that's not the best way to do that. I feel God would have us to understand the whole concept of money first and then to see how giving fits into it properly. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open your Bibles. There'll be two main passages of Scripture and then a voluminous amount of verses coming from the book of Proverbs or the wisdom book. So if you will, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you came without a Bible, that's all right. We have Bibles in the pew racks there underneath the chairs, chair racks, I should say. Or you can scoot next to someone who has a Bible because we're really here studying the Bible and what God has to say about this. Recently, I was asked a question from some a dear man, a new friend I'm making, and I'm, I'm enjoying uh, being in his presence and gaining from him. He said, you know, I've been coming to the church and I'm hearing this on money. He said, I've never heard uh, that spoken from the pulpit like you're speaking on this. Where did you get all of this stuff? And I gave him an answer, and I'd like to give you that same answer. The first part was, I was blessed to grow up in a home where my dad was good as a money manager along with my mom. They really partnered well. Now, I don't want you to think I came from a wealthy family. Actually, my grandparents are immigrants to the United States, so I'm only second-generation American. They came in with virtually nothing but their clothes on their back, and then through a lot of hard work and good money management principles, as well as growing up during what they used to say in the old days, the Depression, that they learned how to use their money. My dad never went past eighth grade, neither did my mother. So it wasn't that they were great financial gurus or had a lot of access to any training on money. It was just learning and paying attention to do what they needed to do, the good old-fashioned work ethic. On the other hand, that still wasn't enough. And my other answer was the answer I'm going to give to you. So no matter what kind of parenting you have, good or bad, we can set that aside for a moment and say we have the best parenting because we who know Christ as Savior, we have God as our Father, and He has written the very best manual on money management called the Word of God. And He not only in heaven then gives us the Word, but when you trust Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you now, which is part of that Godhead, the divine nature you have. So now you can understand this Word, you have the power to live this Word, and then we can come together with this truth. Now some of you are much older and you've pretty much eked out a living, you're doing okay now. We might say that you're, um, if you're not thriving, you're at least surviving in your season of life. And you might be thinking, well, I'm way past needing this right now. Well, that might be the case, but I'd like to remind you that even as we get older, there's always new tricks that we can learn from Scripture, new truths that might help us to have even a better quality of life and perhaps be able to use what God has given to us to further than what we would have if we didn't gain this. But more than that, it's this. I would like to equip you with this material, you older folks, so that you could come alongside, if not your children, at least your grandchildren. One great Bible teacher said, what I've lost in my kids, I maybe be able to make up in my grandkids. So you might be able to teach them. 
But we also have a cadre of people that are coming in here as well as listening on the radio that would love to have a friend like you, a brother and sister in Christ to guide them through what Scripture has to say rather than merely going to some CFP, Certified Financial Planner. And that is not to put those people down. But they don't always have the... um, the wealth of scriptural knowledge of what scripture has to say. So I want to mentor you through the word and I want to model it in front of you. So some illustrations I'll share. Some of the things I did right in my financial life with Carol and some that I've done wrong and maybe we could learn from both. It is not to use us merely as a model. It's just one of the models that you have. And then secondly, we want to model and mentor, but we want you to do the same. So I hope that you would begin, as you have fellowships in the backyard with your family and friends, that you'd begin to talk about the messages. Maybe not how long they go, but at least talk about the content of them and how you might help that next generation. Because I believe as this world is completely in flux, totally unstable, financially, all it takes is one major event in Asia and our own economy here shifts. All it takes is one major decision in Washington and our economy on the island begins to shake. And all of that is to help us understand what God has given to us now. We then use it for His glory. So I hope this message will help you. So I want to begin by reminding you that there are two main questions that we're coming to ask God. And we know that when we ask God, He's going to answer these questions. But He's going to answer them according to Scripture. Maybe a simple little pre-question might be, Are you finding that at the end of um, your money, you still have more month left? Have you found that sometimes at night when you go to sleep, you can go to sleep pretty quickly, but then it's not long that you wake up and you begin to wonder about how you're going to pay for this or pay for that. And some of you that are looking at your kids now and you're realizing that you've got to educate these kids. And I'm not talking about college. Some of our private schools in the island here are anywhere from fifteen dollars to $30,000 a year to put one child through, and you know what I'm speaking. Then you go to college. Then we have a wonderful group of people that are at a stage in their life that they're beginning to ask, will I be able to, quote, retire or redirect or whatever you want to call that? What is going to be my second mile look like, and how will I do financially? So, again, that might be a time for all of us to lean into this. And let me tell you, there is no better time to model and mentor the next generation than for you to do it right now with your children, even if they're five years old, to teach them about money management all the way into earning it, guarding it, and giving it. So I hope that might help you. Now we've learned some things the last time we were together. We learned that it's not really our finances, but it's God's finances. So somewhere in your margin, write that in there again. Because once you own this truth, then it makes the, the need and the reality of us teaching this so much more important. That it's not our finances, it's His finances. And when we realize it is His finances, we have to give an account of what we do with it from our heart outward every single day because we are handling someone else's money and resources. We are handling God's resources. Now he may have given that money to us. He's certainly given us the ability to learn a skill that we can market ourselves into the community for employment. But all of it and however we got it, that came from the Lord. And it all belongs to him and we have to give an account of it. We also have to understand that there is a balance between being ambitious to, make it, to, to get ahead in this world, we might say. Is it wrong to maybe have more money? Is it wrong to maybe advance our career? Is it wrong to get properly educated so that we could add value to others and maybe there'll be a reciprocal money that comes our way for doing that? Not necessarily, as long as it's also balanced with a very healthy and a moment-by-moment trust in God in doing this. 
Now, for those of you that are new into Christianity, you hear the word trust in God. That is almost like a cliche, in my opinion, because when we say trust in God, we all, you know, we get that, trust in God. But what does that look like in a day-to-day thing regarding finances? We will talk a little bit about that today as well. So here are the two questions I'm hoping to answer today. The first one is, why am I short of funds? Now, to do that, that's a question we're going to ask God, and He will answer that. The second question is going to be, I'm getting a mark here. Oh, they're calling someone. Okay. Um, excuse, guys, listen on the radio here. A little housekeeping here. The second question is, is how can I get more money? So the first one is, is why am I short of money? We're asking God that. Then we're going to ask ourselves five questions as we're asking God, because while we're asking God, we need to ask ourselves so we can connect to God as he answers those questions. The second one is the question, um, how do I get more money? Now, frankly... There's only three answers. Those three are the pinnacle. Those are the Himalayan mountains of the mountain range and planet Earth. And actually, that's going to be almost a summary of what the first question will do in answering. So if you will stay with me, you will be packed full of this material that I think will really help you. So the first question is, is why am I short of funds? So the first thing we need to do is we need to understand what debt is. Now, there are two schools of thought on debt. One debt is, I'm in debt if I owe more money than I'm able to pay. In other words, I have more liabilities than I have assets, if you know what I mean. I'm not in debt if I have $300,000 with cars and jewelry and houses, and if I owe someone else $200,000, I owe them the money, but I'm really not in debt because I got $300,000 I could really cover that. Some schools have thought that would be one of them. That may be yours. I think that's a dangerous school of thought, but it might be one that's still legit. Some Bible teachers think that it is. The second is, if you owe anyone at any time, you become indebted to them. And that becomes a serious issue. And I think that is true. I think also that could be a little bit of an overstatement in the reality of timing and agreements and covenants you make with one another. And once you begin to break those, then maybe indebtedness would begin to show up. So what I decided to do is to give you two major definitions of debt so that you would understand a little bit more about it. One is going to come not so much from Scripture, but is going to come from just a regular standard desk dictionary so that you will understand on a more intellectual level what the world might call debt. From Funk and Wagnall's dictionary, they say, number one, debt is this. It can be defined as that which one owes is money, goods, or services. Number two, the obligation to pay or render something. Number three, the condition of owing something. And here's what's so interesting in this secular dictionary. They gave a fourth one. It wasn't the top one. It was the fourth one, maybe the last one. They added the four-letter word theo, involving what's the theological understanding of indebtedness from a secular point of view. And here's how they responded. They said, it's a sin, period. That was all it said. So in other words, the world does look upon If you owe someone that you're violating something, and therefore for Christians, that would be a sin. Now, that's how they would define it. Then I decided to move it further back in our dictionaries and understanding our language. So I went to the very first American dictionary of the English language put out by Daniel Webster. Now, when he did it, he was already uh, immersed in a biblical worldview from his upbringing, his lifestyle, the people he was with. So when he was forming our language and putting it into a dictionary fashion, which is often used today in a lot of homeschool situations, he gives a definition of indebtedness from a little bit more Christian perspective. But you can't just live in a Christian world without understanding we also are in a secular world. So here's how he responds. 
He says indebtedness is this. It is that which is due from one person to another, whether it's money, goods, or services. That which one person is bound to pay or perform to another. And then he then quickly says, in Scripture, it is a sin, a trespass, guilt, crime, which renders liable to punishment. So somewhere along the line, when we are in debt, there is this experience of, I am, um, I've kind of stepped out of bounds, and I need to get back into bounds. So you might choose what definition works for you, but it might be the wisest thing to do is let God choose the definition of indebtedness and then get as close as you can to his understanding of being, here it is, financially free, whether it's good, money, or services. So here's the second question. Why am I short of funds? It could be that we don't understand indebtedness, and so we think it's okay. We call that a lot of leveraging, etc. Some of you that are in the investment world, you know what I'm talking about, and they were on a slippery slope. So number two is, do I really need more money? That's a good question. Do I really need more money? I think I got ahead of myself, so let me go back one more point. Let me go back to number one. I think you had it up on the screen. A financial conviction about our finances could be, our money and resources have been given to us from God it must be earned, managed, and given away according to scriptural principles. Take your time to write that down because that would be the definition that it would be a lot of fun in your family that you would memorize this and then from time to time kind of ask a fellow family member to quote it back to you. And if they quote it back to you, give them a little reward for that, a kiss on the cheek or maybe let them stay up an extra 15 minutes at night if it's a child or do something special. But here it is again. Would you read it out loud with me? And those of you that are on the radio listening to this, listen very carefully. This would be a conviction that you might have, something that is not a preference, not something you kind of like to do. This is something that you're going to own. You may reword it, but I hope it's as close to this as you can. Are you ready? Our conviction now about our finances could be, quote, out loud. Our money and resources have been given to us from God and must be earned, managed, and given away according to clear scriptural principles. And, you know, we have some scriptural principles there, but sometimes you can almost twist them, and we have to be careful of that. We're talking about clear principles, and we're going to show you some of those today. So that would be our conviction. Let me go to question number two. Do I really need more money? It's not, could I use more money, or would I like more money? I'm talking about, do I really need more money? There's a a wealthy man years ago. His name was J. Paul Getty. You might have heard of him. He said this. He said, I changed the philosophy about money. People should be more content. The way to cure discontentment is not necessarily to get more money. And that's found in the Washington Star when he was quoted. Now, I thought that was interesting. The last phrase is what's so interesting. This is the way to cure discontentment is not necessarily to get more money. And he stops there. Well, that sounds really good, but that's not the whole picture. Because it's not just saying, I, I, I don't want to have more money. It's being satisfied with what God has allowed you to have at this particular moment to be able to be used for Him. Early in the message, I asked you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'd like to go over that again. And this time we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10, and then I'm going to skip to the main verse, which is verse 17. So if you will, let's look at it together. And we're just going to kind of give this a quick little review from what we covered carefully last week. Beginning in verse 6, it says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain. In other words, you are godly. That's better for great gain when you have the spirit of contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take nothing out of it either. Then it says, if we have food and covering, 
and covering would more refer to clothes, but it also could be something over your head, like a house or a tent. It says, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. And I guess that's the question. Are you content with your house right now? Now, does that does not mean that you cannot seek a larger house, a different location, a newer house, or another kind of house. It doesn't say you can't do that, as long as it is not, we might say, envying after someone else what they have and not dealing with that inner sense for that moment of contentment with what you have. Now let me tell you, it's not because Carol and I have lived in some tremendous popcorn palaces, some big places. When we were married, we lived in an apartment that was so small that we couldn't even put a dresser in our little tiny bedroom. Our bathroom was smaller than a camper bathroom that you could go to the bathroom, brush your teeth, and take a shower all at the same time. We paid $90 a month for that place. When we moved here to the island, we had a wonderful church family that let us stay in a small garage apartment. We were really grateful for that. It had concrete block walls all the way up till the windows, and we couldn't see out. Very hot near Diamond Head. So it wasn't a popcorn palace, but it was very comfortable. So we content where we are. Do we live in those two places now? No. We have a simple little house up in Old Valley here in East Oahu but be content with what we have. Let me go a little bit further in the passage. But it says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation. It doesn't say advance themselves. It's to get rich fall into temptation, a snare, many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men, women, people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, not the, uh, the root, it's just a root. There's other roots. And then it says, and some by longing for it, money, riches, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs and sorrows and problems. To me, I think that's the worst part about wanting to have more money is what it does with your relationship with the Lord and biblical Christianity. Now drop down to verse 17, if you will. Now this verse says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. In other words, you have what you have. God allowed you to have it, so don't brag about it. Don't flaunt it. You have it. Don't be conceited. And also, don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, implying that riches are uncertain. You don't know how long you're going to have them and how long they will last, so don't fix your hope on that. Then it ends by saying, but on God, who richly supplies us all things. So the question is, do we really need more money? Have we fought the demon of discontentment and learned to say we can make do with what we have? How many of you have ever had the privilege of going to a second or a third world country before? Would you raise your hand if you've been there? How many of you had the opportunity going to that second or third world country where you weren't in a major city and a fancy schmancy hotel like a Sheridan or something like that and you got a chance to go out to see where the, quote, real people live? Would you raise your hand? How many of you would say that they often are living, existing, maybe even making a life in far less facilities than what you already have now. Would you raise your hand? So it can be done. Now again, I'm not slamming anyone who wants to be ambitious. Ambition is not wrong if you don't seek great things for yourself, but you're using that as a tool to build with. Well, here's my third question, and that is, is God testing my faith? Maybe you're short of funds right now because God decided to test your faith. Now you can leave 1 Timothy, and I'd like you to go to Philippians, if you will. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Turn there, if you will. There may be a reason you're short of money right now because you've done everything you thought 
humanly possible you could do to bring yourself to a point to have your basic needs of life met. Now, you might have done it with some biblical principles that you learned before. Some of it you've done accidentally and you got it right. And some of it you may learn later on that, ooh, I really didn't do it all right. We're going to talk about that later. But right now, you're sensing you have this loss. And right now, God is testing your faith. Now, when I began this message, I talked about this a cliche. Just trust God. Just trust God. I have a whole sermon on that and how that I, I'm not really all excited about that phrase. Just trust God. And the reason is, is because we don't always know how to trust Him. A couple of weeks ago when I launched the whole series, I talked about the health and wealth gospel, the health and wealth theology that's out there. And sometimes we think, just trust God for more. And we don't say that because that sounds so greedy, but really we're saying we want to trust God for more. We want to trust God for complete health. I'm wondering sometimes that the Lord allows us to um, go through times of loss or less, loss or less, or it gives us a time that we don't get the health that we so much would want. Because he wants to test our faith. Are we willing to be satisfied with where we are right now and to still rejoice in what we have so we could slay the so-called demon of discontentment? And I'm wondering it maybe that this might be happening with you and me. Now look over here at Philippians again. And I want to read just a little short passage of Scripture here. We're going to read verses 11 through verse 13 of Philippians. And follow along as I read this to you beginning at verse 11. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. It says this, Paul speaking, he is writing now to the church in Philippi. The last passage, Paul was writing to a pastor in Ephesus, and he was telling the pastor what to tell the people. Here he's just going, he's bypassing the pastor, and Paul is writing right to the people. So he says, not that I speak from want or self-sufficient, not not that I need more, I'm okay. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now think about that for a moment. I have learned, which means he didn't wake up one morning and he was content. He wasn't waking up one morning and I'm now satisfied. He had to go through a process that you and I are going through now in learning how to be content with whatever situation we're in. Let me take it a step further. The Holy Spirit had to bring about these teachings in his life and then it's recorded so we have it today. He had some of the Old Testament that we're going to study today. He already had that training. So what he got was what he learned from what God brought into his life from the Word, from the Spirit as he was writing this and perhaps from life lessons that you and I might have learned as well. The difference is There's no new revelation from the Lord. There is no more you have to hear from God. No one has to say, God told me to tell you this is what you got to do with your bucks. Everything we need is right here. But he had to learn it. So now as your pastor and hopefully your friend, my question is, are, are we ready to open our eyes that we may see these truths and really learn these things? Learn how to be content? I believe that we have now a family that wants to do that. Faith family. Let's go a little bit further in the passage. He says, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Watch. Both of having abundance and suffering need. Now, this passage itself will preach a whole Sunday morning message. And I don't have the time for this. 
But what it's telling us is this, that he had to learn how to be humble. He had to learn to be satisfied with whatever state or circumstance he was in. But he also had to learn when he had abundance. So in other words, when you are given a lot of wealth, there's still lessons we have to learn when we are blessed with wealth, however it may have come to us, which we're going to learn what that might be in a moment. But for right now, that's a learning process. So right now, whatever age we are, let's go through these truths to learn how to trust God. Now let me give you a real example. There is a man by the name of Job. There's a whole book of the Bible about him. He was a very righteous man and attempted to be as righteous as he could, like many of you, maybe all of you. He loved his kids so much, seven sons, three daughters, that he would do sacrifices and take them to God, you know, in prayer and just making sure they were rightly connected. And yet there was something that was going on in his life way beyond where he was. Something that was going on way beyond the earth. It was done in the heavenlies between God and Satan. Satan wanted to show to God that Job was going to stop trusting God and curse God, so to speak. And so the Lord said, go ahead, take my servant Job. Do what you want with him. So he unleashed Satan on Job. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.